Uh, open the Word of God with me, please, to Mark chapter 322. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 3, verse 22. And we're going to try to do three things today. We're going to review the life of Christ A through Z using the letters, not a map. We've been using the map a lot. We'll use letters today, kind of uh, A through O, where we technically are. And then we're going to uh, look back at O. O stands for offensive opposition. After seeing Jesus minister for a year and a half, the um, presidents of the seminaries and the people at the top of the religious hierarchy decided that Jesus Christ was not the Savior. He was a satanically possessed false prophet. And you don't believe that and say that just flippantly. They had hardened themselves so um, concretely against the light of who Jesus was, they would not have him, they did not have them, and they jumped off the top of the theological empire state building. And once you drop, jump off, there ain't no going back, right? So we're going to review that and talk a little bit more about what the unpardonable sin is, is and isn't. We talked about that last week. And then for a few minutes at the end, we're going to preview our next letter. We've got 26 major events in the life of Christ based on the alphabet. We're going to talk about these eight parables. They're incredible, Dustin. These, in the light of the um, determined, deliberate, absolute rejection of himself by the group that ought to be the first to embrace him, Jesus anticipates the spiritual dynamics from that point until his second advent. And uh, you know, you can almost call Matthew 13 that has those eight parables. David, you could call that "Welcome to the Status Quo." And status this is a joke, of course, but status quo is a French expression. Uh, Cindy, that means the mess we's in, right? That's what the status quo is. And so we're going to, that's just a wonderful passage, and we'll look at that next week, but we'll preview it a little bit this morning. But first, let's pray that we'll be teachable to, to God's Word. This will not be about a teacher. It'll be about the teaching of Scripture. And it's not just our heads. We move it to our hearts through our will so it becomes transforming truth, basis of worldview, priorities, choices, that kind of thing, not just on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but on Monday mornings and even on prom night, all right? And as we pray, we'll be teachable to God's word. Let's uh, remember to pray for those who protect and serve us, including our active military, and we know all those people, directly or indirectly, they're real people in or just out of military service. We remember our peace officers and our firefighters also. So... Um, uh, Stan Heath, if you would uh, pray for us in that direction, would you? Thank you. Stan, abstract thought warmer upper one. Scientists say that coffee and donuts release chemicals in the brain that create the illusion that meetings are a productive way to get things done. You always have donuts you know, before you have big meetings, right? Number two, Larry's pre- presentation wasn't so bad. After the third hour... My spirit left my body and went to the beach. I mean, that was that was bad. Uh, for me, I was a young minister. I once had this nightmare that I was preaching a really long, boring sermon, and then I woke up and realized I was. That was a bad Sunday in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'll tell you what. Uh, hold your applause. This will be the last abstract thought warmer upper. I joined a weight loss support group. We meet once a week and talk each other out of dieting. Isn't that the way it works? 
Okay, let's uh, start by reviewing the life of Christ A through Z. We've got four Gospels, one Savior, 26 major events, and it, to me it's just such a joy to kind of get this in your head. Uh, for whatever reason, I find it hard to pray when I'm running. I can't run anymore with, on tracks or things because my knees are shot. But I get on the elliptical trainer there in the seminary center with no impact, and it feels so good. I, I actually convince myself I can run on tracks again, and then I try, and I, I fail and start crying and stuff. But uh, it's just it's hard for me to pray intently and intelligently when I run for some reason. I can pray like, help, Lord, help me get through this training thing. But I can run scripture through my head, and I quite often run the life of Christ A through Z. And it's just so much, such a joy. It just kind of cleans out your brain when you think through these major events, and you, you see how they fit together. And so rather than saying, well, I know Jesus turned water into wine, and I know he, he rose from the dead, and I know that he was a carpenter, and we know these snapshots, but we don't know how they fit together. I mean, Zach, man, are you like the all-star in the band or whatever? I mean, you've got a keyboard, you've got the... Is that an electronic ukulele? That's why Isaac Newton invented grab, uh, invented electricity, so they could have the electronic ukulele. He didn't invent it; he just kind of described it, right? But yeah, I, I, just, I found this incredibly therapeutic in my own life, and I hope that um, you find uh, the ability to think through the life of Christ using this system helpful. Some of you have done this more than once. Some of this is some of you is the first time. But Anthony Foreman, our world's my second favorite graphic designer, my first favorite graphic designer is my son Jonathan. But uh, he has made up these nice letters for us. So we're gonna I'm gonna pass these out and then we're gonna use them to review the life of Christ A through Z. Okay? So Abby, I'm gonna give you an A. Murray, you get the B. Jack, you get the C. And boy, I'm glad to see you in the youth band. You did an awesome job there. You get the D, you get the E. Uh, Ron loves audience participation. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give him that. Uh, David loves it too. Try not to look at me. I hope he'll get over, over it by the time church is over. Uh, David, we're going to do you too, buddy. Uh, it's going to be one of you too. Okay. Which, uh, Okay, Henry, pass that, pass the K down to your brother there. I'm not, even, I'm not gonna do you. You I might get mad. <laughs> First B I ever gave Murray, right? He made an A with me. L. Do a bank president in the room. Glad to help. Yeah. And, uh, Mimi, if you don't mind, you got the N. O and P. Okay. Yeah, so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to, uh, shout out the letter, the first letter. I'll say A, and then Abby will stand up and with a smile on her face and a song in her heart, she's going to hold up the letter A and, and point to the congregation. And then we in unison will shout out the two word title <coughs> that goes along with the letter. So let's practice just A, okay? A, I'm going to point to you. You're going to hold it up. Are you smiling? Song in your heart? And then we're going to say, angels announce. 
the supernormal pregnancy of John the Baptist, the supernatural pregnancy of Jesus. Okay. Sit down so you can stand up again. So, yeah, let's just review that. The first time we'll do it with visual aid. Second time we'll do it without a visual aid. Okay. A. Angels announce. B. Birth in Bethlehem. C. Carpentry career. D. Yeah, Dub descends at the Duncan. E. Enemy entices. Now stop there. At the baptism, the righteousness of Christ is declared. We don't know a lot about what he did from age 12 to 30, except he was a carpenter. But when the uh, Discovery Channel has an Easter special, it tells you he, he went to India and became a Hindu. That's not what happened. Because God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So at the baptism, at the Duncan, Dove descends at the Duncan, the God, God the Father declares the righteousness of Christ. Right, Lindell? Then immediately Jesus goes one-on-one with the ultimate spiritual adversary, E, enemy entices, and he demonstrates his righteousness. So all of this is to affirm he's qualified to be who he claims to be. But then the leader's going to turn around and say, no, 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 you're not the Christ, you're the Antichrist. You're not of God, you're of Satan, right? So let's, let's see, we were through uh, E. Let's go to F. Who's got F? First followers. After he's tempted, he goes back to where John the Baptist is uh, baptizing just on the Jordanian side of the river near the top of the Dead Sea. And John the Baptist starts funneling his disciples to Jesus because that was John's job, to get people ready to receive Jesus. Okay, his first followers, G. Great guests, that's the first miracle of Jesus. It was at the temple to keep the worship service going, right? It was at a wedding reception to keep the refreshments available, Okay. Jesus didn't walk around with uh, looking like Max von Sydow in the greatest story ever told, never smiling. Behold, I say unto thee, you know, I think he's smiling, he's interacting, he's happy to be at a wedding reception, he's not too spiritual to make sure the refreshments are revived. That's interesting, and I think there's some lessons there. So they were great guests at the wedding feast. H, harsh house cleaning. This is Jesus in Jerusalem the first time since he's begun his ministry, and he finds the whole system corrupt. And they're they're making money off poor, sincere people, and he puts them out of business for the day, and they say, hey, you'd have, what sign do you show us? You'd have to be the Messiah to do this, to say you're in charge of the temple. We're in charge of the temple. And he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And he wasn't talking about the building, he's talking about what? His body, right? The resurrection. So that's uh, harsh house cleaning. I, Incredible interview while he's in Jerusalem. Who does Jesus talk to? The leading teacher in Judaism. His name is Nick for his friends, Nicodemus, for uh, people who aren't his friends. Dr. Nicodemus, Jesus says, you're the leading teacher in Judaism. You don't understand the fact that God's sending a Messiah, and you're not saved by how good of a Jew you are, but by having a perfect Savior. But uh, you got to be born of the... Uh, water and the spirit, physical birth, water breaks, spiritual birth. It's not about how good you are. It's about how great your Savior is and salvation. It's not something you do for God. It's something he does for you in Jesus Christ. That's really important. So you've got this really religious, well-known, well-respected religious um, Jewish leader who's told you're not good enough to go to heaven. You need to believe in me for salvation. Then you can have it. Now, the next letter is J. 
jive talking at Jacob's well. Jesus goes due north from Jerusalem through Samaria where the hated, not by God, but by the religious folks, half Jew, half Gentile group, the Samaritans lived. He goes right through that. No self-respecting Jew would go through Samaria. How come? Spiritual cooties. They believed in the cootie theory of spirituality. Some Christians today continue to believe in the spiritual cootie of spirituality, that playing cards are evil, baseball bats are evil, uh, certain musical notes are evil. A guy had a whole ministry for 40 years telling you that certain notes were evil. They're not evil. They're neutral. <laughs> you can use them to praise God. You can use them to destroy a city, you know, if you want to get a mob going. But uh, what letter are we on? Uh, <laughs> I think I knew. Uh, J. No, no, yeah, yeah. I'm not done with J. That's my problem. It just keeps talking, doesn't it? It never stops. Uh, Job of Jacob's well, Jesus interacts not with with a religious leader in Jerusalem, but with a very immoral woman who's destroyed five marriages because of her promiscuity. She's living with her boyfriend now, and he says, if you knew who was talking to you, I'd give you living water. I'll, I'll save you right where you are, but I love you too much to leave you like that. I'll, I'll change you. But it's not us doing stuff and making a deal with Jesus. Jesus has got all the chips, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. Yeah, come to church, get a gambling analogy. Okay. K. Who's got K? Oh, yeah, Clay. <laughs> That's awesome. It rhymes. Clay's got a K. Um, so the, the ministry is in full force. Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and his kin kick him out of town because he goes, and there's a buzz in town that he, he's doing stuff. Maybe he's the a prophet. They haven't really heard he's claiming to be Messiah, I guess. And uh, it's his turn to read the scripture, so he gets up there, and it just happened to have the bookmark in the scroll with Isaiah 61, which is a 700-year prophecy saying that the Messiah would come. And he says, hey, uh, let me read this. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me. In context, it's the Messiah, the servant of the Lord that Isaiah is prophesying. That must be Jesus. Only he read it like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Hands the scroll over, sits down on a stool to teach. He's not sitting down where Dustin is or where Ron is. That's the difference between Ron and Dustin. Dustin's on the front row. He's big, strong, and young. You're in the back row. You're older. <laughs> you don't look as good. But, you know, if you, get a little further. Get a little further. You know, you know, for me, talking about looks is like, man, the, the blind, condemning the blind. But, uh, yeah, where were we? Uh, yeah, King kicked out. So he sits down to teach on what he read, and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I am the one Isaiah 61 talked about. And, and the city rejoiced and said, Man, this is going to be so good for tourism, right? Everybody's going to want to come here. What did they do, Sonia? They kick him out of town and try to throw him off a cliff. And we'll go to what cliff is next May. You can see it. It would, it would kill you, but it didn't work out. Uh, so that's K, kin kick out. Uh, L. Yeah, why why isn't Jesus basing his ministry in Nazareth? Because they kicked him out of town, right? So he goes, that's why he's bumping into fishermen all the time. He goes to Capernaum, a fishing village about 17 miles away. Uh, so that's uh, kin kick out, location lateral M. Yeah, now we start the 18-month, thank you, Ben, Great Galilean ministry, where Jesus is teaching the essence of the Sermon on the Mount hundreds of times, not just once, and it's discipleship truth and pre-evangelism, because nobody can do the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to need somebody to save you and give you the righteousness you need to integrate with God, and then start um, uh, 
by steps embracing this ethic and living it out. And that's the way uh, we're going to impact the culture if we actually get consistent. N, letter N, nature neutralized. Jesus, during his great Galilee ministry, preaches marvelous messages and validates his claims to be the Messiah with all kinds of big miracles designed to validate to the crowd, to the population at large. And he's been doing this for 18 months. And these leaders from Jerusalem stand, don't just show up in Mark 3 and Matthew 12. They've been following him for a long time because that's their job. Anybody who's a potential Messiah, they got to check him out. And they reject him, Carla, because, listen, he's bad for business, okay? He doesn't like them uh, the way they do their business because it's corrupt. And so uh, we have O. Who's got O? Yeah. Opposition offered is my original wording. I'm going to call it offensive opposition. That's the unpardonable sin we saw last week. And then next week, Stan, see letter P. Okay, let's do that one more time, folks. A stands for what? So good. B. C. D. At the Duncan. E. What what is that? What event is that in the life of Christ? Temptation by Satan. Right. F. John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. Right. Um, EFG. Great guests at a wedding feast. What what they do at the wedding feast? Jesus kept the refreshments going. Right. H. Yeah, when after thousands of years of prophecy, they should have been looking for him. John the Baptist had told them he's, he's here. They they know who he's claiming to be. The leaders know. He's he's already on their radar. Uh, they're totally corrupt at the beginning of the ministry. At the end of the ministry, it's, it's going to be corrupt too. But anyway, that's harsh house cleaning. Um, what's the next letter? I. Who's he talking to in Jerusalem? Who's Nicodemus? He's considered to be the most prestigious teacher of Judaism in that time. Okay, and he's clueless about the way salvation works. You know, so just getting a PhD or ordination doesn't necessarily get you the the message there, right? So that's uh, yeah, that's I J. What's what's Jive at Jacob's well, Henry? Remember? Yeah, yeah. And she couldn't be any more, especially in that cultural milieu, couldn't be any more opposite than Nicodemus. You know, and he basically tells, Jesus tells her basically the same thing using a different figure of speech, because Nicodemus is concerned about his uh, aging, his mortality, and Jesus says, you got to be born again. He's all about that. And she's at a well at noon. You don't go to the well at noon in the Middle East. It's too hot. She's going there at noon because even the Samaritan women don't like her. She's an outcast among outcasts. Jesus has no problem meeting her right where she is. He won't let her rationalize where she is. She, he, she, he describes her problem and offers her eternal life like it's of grace. And it's a free gift. It's uh, really amazing. really blows your religious categories if you get that. So, yeah, that's uh, Job Jacob Well. Uh, H-I-J-K. Can kick out. Why'd they kick him out of town? Because he claimed to be Messiah, claimed to be a fulfillment of Isaiah, right? J-K-L. So we don't see Jesus in Nazareth much anymore. He goes through a couple of times out of sheer super grace, and it's dangerous for him to be there. It's, in the last six months, it's dangerous for him to be anywhere near Jerusalem. And if you read the Gospels closely, the disciples are freaking out every time they get anywhere near Jerusalem because they, they know the bad guys are after him. But yeah, so he moves his base of operations to the Sea of Galilee from uh, Nazareth, where you might expect it to be if you don't know what's going on. M and N, M is marvelous messages, 
N is nature neutralized. That's 18 months or so of the great Galilean ministry. That's what he's doing, trying to get the word out as widely as possible. Oh, saw that last week. That's Mark 3 and Matthew 12. That's the unpardonable sin passage. And then uh, P, parables. That's Matthew 13. Now, I know, I know 13 is an unlucky number, but don't worry about it because it's bad luck to be superstitious. So. And I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. But, uh, yeah, those parables are really, uh, orient, it's God orienting James Mitchell and Blanche Britton and, uh, Sherry Harrington to what to expect as far as the basic spiritual dynamics of where we are now. It's very much like the Lord's Supper, you know, we do this as often as we do it in remembrance of Him until He comes back. It's an inner advent thing. The parables talk about the inner advent dynamic. Okay? That's pretty good. Good job. Now notice, we're looking at O and P. We're going to look back at O today and forward to P, which we'll look at next week. And you put all this on a kind of a thematic um, diagram, and you've got two phases of the ministry of Christ. You've got proclamation and ministry of the nation of Israel. Crowds gather, crowds gather, until he gets the definitive rejective word from the leaders of Judaism that he's not the Messiah, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, thanks, David. David's going to pick up the letters for me. I appreciate that. Uh, and that becomes the Pike's Peak. Immediately after that, he talks about the negative and positive dynamics of what's going to happen until Second Advent. And then everything changes because even though he'll still do some public miracles, any miracle he does is going to be used against him because they've... Why? If he does something supernatural here, what does he know the religious leaders who are going to indict him are going to say about it? More satanic works, right? Because he does his works by satanic power. So rather than stressing that, he's now stressing and preparing the guys to carry on after X, Y, and Z. Expiatory execution, yes, Jesus was resurrected. And Z, uh, zapped from Zion, the ascension, 40 days after the resurrection. I would say everything's important, but the most important event in the life of Christ is that. Empty tomb, empty cross. The cross is empty. Jesus says it is finished, paid in full at the end of his atoning work on the cross. He's not suffering anymore. The work is completed. It's what he does for us, not what we do for him that saves us. And that is the saving, redemptive, eternal life power of the death is validated by his resurrection because a dead savior can't get you from Oklahoma to heaven. And that's all the other religions have are dead saviors or dead leaders. Okay, So... I would say empty cross, empty tomb with that kind of meaning. All right, we've reviewed A through Z, or at least A through P, really. Now let's look at look back at letter O. We went through this in some detail last time, but I want to underscore a couple of things and deal with a couple of things people have asked me about in the aftermath. So you're looking at you're looking at Mark, um, Mark chapter three, right, verse twenty-two, and. Uh, yeah, you look at Mark 3, and you've got the specific charge of the critics in one verse, and then you've got the specific challenge of Christ to those critics. But let's look at verse 22. Uh, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, Stan, this is an official delegation. Uh, this is the considered, final, deliberate, official position of institutional Judaism by people who have jumped off the theological empire state building and really believe this stuff. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, they weren't just wandering through. They were here for this purpose to pronounce a curse on the ministry of Jesus. We're saying, 
Yeah, he does miracles, big deal. They can't deny his miracles like Richard Dawkins can today. He's possessed by Beelzebub, which is a title for, Christ, for Satan. And so he's casting out demons and doing the other supernatural things by the power, uh, by the ruler of the demons, Lucifer. Okay. Now drop down to verse 28. Jesus says, truly I say to you, all kinds of sins, every kind of sin can be forgiven, hypothetically, you know. Um, but whoever blasphemes, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit in the way you guys just did, as a deliberate, hardened, final, uh, non-negotiable belief and charge that the Spirit of God within me that's empowering me, in fact, is Satan, and I'm a satanically possessed false prophet, not the Messiah and the Savior. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit in that way, saying the Holy Spirit within me is Satan himself, uh, is never going to have forgiveness. They, they've passed the point of spiritual no return, and just what they're saying is a reflection of that, not the cause. It's the heart being so hardened. And then Mark tells you, and none of the other Gospels tell you this, he's saying that, Dustin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. The the unpardonable sin is directed toward Jesus, but the mechanism is saying the Holy Spirit within him is Satan. And he calls that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. People who eventually will come to faith can say all kind of nasty things about God the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a technical term here for verse 30, what they said in verse 22, he's not the Messiah, he's an agent of Satan, he's not empowered by the Spirit of God, he's empowered by the Spirit of Satan. That specific uh, expression of deliberate, super-hardened, non-negotiable, total repudiation and vilification of Jesus. And so if you fear you've committed, if you fear you've committed unpardonable sin, you have not, by definition. You may or may not be saved yet, but you're, you haven't committed it. Because people who commit this and get to that point, they're convinced they're right. They think they're doing something good, right? Uh, they're very self-righteous. We live in a very religious culture even as we get more and more nuns in it, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E. That means the, 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 uh, the, the party line is something you cannot broach anymore in the culture. We don't have freedom of speech anymore. It's just going away. Because people have a religious commitment to secularism. And, um, you know, religious st- activity can be dangerous when there's no controls over it, right? Now, let me attempt to give you a general description of TUS, the unpardonable sins. So, Jack, if you see TUS in all caps, from now on, that's going to stand for the unpardonable sin, okay? Technical term. The unpardonable sin, just in general, we're seeing a specific example of it here, is deliberate. This isn't somebody who's naive or innocent or clueless. Total renunciation and extreme vilification. They're not just saying, well, we don't think you're the Messiah. You're probably a nice guy like the, the passage Scott read. A little bit after this, Jesus takes the guys away from Jewish territory. We'll go there on our tour. Caesarea Philippi, um, it's out of Jewish territory in Jesus' day. Get away from the crowds, get away from the pressures. And he says, what does the Gallup poll say about me now that the leaders say I'm satanically possessed? And I think they're happy. They're saying, hey, they're still saying good things about you. They're saying that you're John the Baptist. That was a dumb answer, right? Because John the Baptist and Jesus were contemporaries. And... It's not the it's not that people get wrong answers on the test. It's just the dumb answers they give. They'd be if they gave a good answer, that's a terrible answer. You know, you're you're a prophet, you're Jeremiah, you're whatever. 
So I heard the disciples saying, hey, this is great. We thought they'd all going to say you're a satanically possessed prophet. That's not showing up on the Gallup poll. I think the leader, the, the leaders are convinced of that, but the average person is too smart to believe Jesus is that bad, but they're thinking he can't be the Messiah, or our guys wouldn't have missed it by that far. So the good news is, on the Gallup poll, Olga, nobody, the average person, the guy who lives in flower country, nobody thinks Jesus is a satanically possessed false prophet. But what's another thing they don't say about him? None of them are saying he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the issue of eternal life. None of them are saying that either. They're in the happy medium, right? That's question one. Who do people say that I am? What's the Gallup poll saying? It's not the Gallup poll. That's just a figure of speech, okay? And then he says, what's the second question? Who do you say? And that's plural. You know, in Oklahoma, hey, Scarlett, in Oklahoma we've got y'all, that's singular, all y'all, plural. In New Testament Greek you got different wording for y'all, singular, and all y'all. And he uses the all y'all. He says, Okay, that's question one. They're still saying nice things, but nobody thinks I'm the Messiah. But they don't think I'm satanically possessed either. They're in the middle. Question two, Peg. Who do you, who do y'all say that I am now? Knowing what the leaders say about me. And what does Peter say? You are the Christ. Boom. The son of the living God. You're not possessed by Satan. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit, is what he's saying. Right? That's big. That's interesting. Uh, this is kind of a, a general description. It's not perfect. It's a working description. The unpardonable sin is deliberate, total renunciation, and extreme vilification of Christ and Christianity in today's context by people who have consciously rejected so much light. They, they, they were talking to him, interacting with him for 18 months face-to-face, and they come to that conclusion and have so completely rejected Jesus as Christ, as Savior, they've passed the point of spiritual no return. It's like jumping off the Empire State Building. Even if you change your mind, it's too late. And once you get to this point, you're not going to change your mind. You think you're actually right. You're, he's trying to, they're trying to protect uh, people from Jesus, uh, if you can believe that, uh, by their uh, maligning him. They passed the point of spiritual no return and actually believe Jesus is a horrifically evil manifestation of Satan and our evil. Um, um, Christopher Hitchens, uh, one of the new atheists who unfortunately died a few years ago of cancer, uh, said, religion poisons everything. And there are a lot of bad things that come out of religion, including people who call themselves Christians on the far, far right or far, far left. We've got enemies on both sides, folks. You know, people that don't represent us well, that either misunderstand or totally uh, destroy the real meaning of scripture. But uh, there are bad doctors out there. There are bad teachers out there. There are bad police officers out there. But I don't personally think the lack of education is caused by teachers, generally. I don't think crime is caused by policemen. I don't think illness is caused by medical professionals. Are there some bad medical professionals out there? Yeah. Are there, is there bad religious uh, influence out there? Yeah. Is there bad kind of humanistic philosophical influence out there? Yeah. That's interesting. You know, last week we looked at Mark 3. We're going to briefly compare that to Mark uh, Matthew 12 today. You got two passages, same event, and one reason J. Warner Wallace, who is a cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles County, at age 35 went from being an atheist to being a Christian, is he read the Gospels to discredit them and realized they read exactly like four eyewitnesses to some traumatic or exciting events because you put them together and they don't—they're not verbatim. 
because then, then they would have colluded and got together and figured it all out. They're, they're independent voices. They line up exactly the way people do who see a car crash or see the president go by or something good or bad or something exciting, just like that. So when you compare Mark 3, we looked at last week, Matthew 12, we'll look at passing today, it's exactly the same thing, only different, because you'll notice the Mark 3 passage has the specific charge against Christ, which he calls the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus just challenges challenges their criticism straight up. He says it's logically impossible, and he says, and this is serious. The fact that you really believe this means you pass the point of spiritual no return. This is serious business. That's what Mark three does. Let's go to Mark from Mark three to Matthew twelve. If you're not watching that, you won't see it because there's not much change, right? Different passage, same structure. Okay, rather than one verse on you on the charge, you have three verses, but it's the same thing. In fact, uh, let's just turn there. Go to Matthew 12, 22. And this is the kind of thing, when you compare the Gospels closely, you know, it, always, it always lines up like this. I mean, sometimes Luke will say something Matthew, Mark, and John don't mention at all, but when they have parallel passages, you can tell it's the same thing. It's just getting different details. And you can put them together, which is nice. That's why we have four Gospels, not one, for one, one reason. But... Let's see how Matthew describes, gives it a little bit more detail than Mark does. Mark tends to be real concise, right? James, James has, has really studied Mark really intently, and he preaches from Mark when he, when he fills in for me, and does a nice job on that. Um, but, you know, when you read Matthew and Mark, they're talking about the same kind of stuff, but give you different levels of detail. And look at uh, the charge here in Matthew 12, 22 through 24. Very much parallel with what we saw in Mark 3.22, but just more detail. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, not that all blindness or muteness is caused by demon possession, but it can, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. You know, Very unelaborated descriptions. You read all of the other religious literature of that, that era, lots of elaborations, a lot of hocus-pocus, lots of yelling and screaming, a lot of incantation, banging tambourines to get stuff, their guys to do stuff. Jesus just says the word is done. You know, it's like he doesn't need all that craziness. The demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. They don't know how it happened. He just, he's just he got power over demons and everything else. So the mute man saw and spoke. All the crowds were amazed and saying, This cannot be the son of David, can he? The Greek structure means implies and anticipates a negative answer, but... In context, they're looking at this and saying, he'd have to be the son of David. He'd have to be the Christ to do that. But we're not sure if he is or not. They're not sure what they want to go that far. But they're considering it. And that's when these Pharisees in that context, the guys from Jerusalem, when they heard this, they said, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, like the end of the Wizard of Oz. You know, This man casts out demons, but only by what? Beelzebub, by, by Satan, not by the spirit of Satan who dwells on their claiming, not by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, So that's uh, the specific charge. Same thing as Mark, only a little bit more detail. Now, Jesus comes back and challenges. You can't let that go, Phyllis. You've got you to defend yourself here. And he says, that's, a, that's absurd. It's, it's logically impossible for me. Uh, Satan's not going to shoot himself in the head to make points with the people. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a fatal thing. What I'm doing is putting him out of business. Just check it out. And he's got a long list of things he could go over, but they've seen most of it. And then he explains the seriousness of the charge. Look at verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, 
not by the spirit of Beelzebul, then I'm representing the kingdom of God. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm, I brought the kingdom with me. Come upon you. So you better not miss this. Uh, drop down to verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin, any individual sin, isolated sin, blasphemy uh, even, uh, shall be forgiven people. But this kind of thing, this ultimate definitive categorical description or rejection of me and vilification of me, this kind of thing, which he's calling the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit within me, calling that the spirit of Satan, is unforgivable. You're past the point of no return spiritually. Uh, let me be more specific. You can say a word against the Son of Man. Islam does. It's only Western liberals that think it's a nice thing to say that Muslims believe in the same God we do. The Quran says, don't say Trinity. Desist, don't say Trinity. God doesn't have a son. That Any well-trained Muslim would be offended if you told them that we believe that you worship the same God as the Christians do. They're going to reject that. Okay, It's not just... Uh, evangelical Christians that say that's not right. All Muslims would say that. They'd be offended by that. That, that contradicts the, the Quran. We think we're trying to be nice to them by saying that. It's, it's not true and it's not nice. All kinds of stuff can be forgiven, but this can't be. You can say a word against me and it'd be forgiven. I mean, J. Warner Wallace was raised by an atheist father who's in law enforcement. Not that there's anything with, against law enforcement, but he happened to be an atheist, and he still is, his father. For 35 years, he was an atheist, and then after wanting to debunk the Gospels, he reads them. He says, this looks just like four accurate witnesses to a significant event or series of events. And he becomes a Christian. I'm sure he blasphemed Jesus in the Holy Spirit in word or deed most of his life as an adult, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Anthony, or not Anthony, but Murray. Uh, man, getting you confused with Anthony, that's an insult for... Somebody, one or the other. Uh, sorry, man. Uh, bless me, the Holy Spirit, in this sense. Whoever speaks a word against me can be forgiven. Whoever uh, speaks against the Holy Spirit in the sense that you're saying the Holy Spirit within me is the sa- spirit of Satan, that's unforgivable. That's that's an effect of the cause, which is a heart so hardened deliberately, intentionally, you can't see anymore. You're beyond the point of spiritual no return. I think it's important, Olga, to compare these passages here. Uh, Blessing the Holy Spirit here is not a generic term, it's a specific term. Satan casts out Satan, uh, he's in trouble. If by Beelzebub I cast out demons, then, uh, you know, there's a whole different thing going. But if I cast out demons by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, he's talking about that. You're saying that this is what I am. You're saying I'm indwelt by Satan. I'm saying I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God. And you can't really believe that after all you've seen me do and say over the last 18 months and really believe that unless you, what you've hardened yourself so far, you're never going to come back from that. So I've given you my general understanding of T, what does TUS stands for, Jack? It's, it's the unpardonable sin, right? I said that would never change, okay? I said, that's just 10 minutes ago. The unpardonable sin is deliberate. This is not some innocent person that gets trained by a Muslim cleric or by a Jehovah's Witness. Total renunciation and extreme vilification of Jesus by people who have consciously rejected so much spiritual light, so completely rejected Jesus as Savior Christ. Uh, they passed the point of spiritual return, actually believe Jesus is horrifically evil. He's a manifestation of Satan. People actually believe that. Some people in Wicca believe that. Okay, That's the general description. Now watch this, Debbie McCoy. I'm going to be in trouble when I get home. This better be good. 
I don't like to put pressure on, like, on myself like that. Um, she likes most of them, okay? Just so you'll know. Uh, <laughs> not all of them. Um, listen, I listen to these things every Monday morning. I don't, I, I don't like them all either, you know? Uh, just so you'll know. They can all be much improved every single time. There's no, but yeah, the specific expression of tuss, not pus, but tuss. Pus is bad, tuss is bad, right? Uh, the infernal sin is called in this context by Jesus speaking against, or you can translate that, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because the leaders of Judaism here specifically rejected Jesus as their Messiah because they've convinced themselves he's indwelt by Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. Uh, when in fact he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit in that sense. But it's about who Jesus is. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in this context is about who Jesus is and where he gets his power. Um, and that's that's the point. It's a technical term. That's what the context tells you, right? So that's the unpardonable sin. Now, here's the exciting part. Let's apply all of that stuff. We, we'd call it theology you know, in some context. Let's apply all that theology to people today. So, Brad, you're saying based on Mark 3 and Matthew 12, all atheists have committed the unpardonable sin. I didn't say that. You're saying all Muslims have committed the unpardonable sin. I didn't say that. I don't believe that. You're saying that all Jehovah's Witnesses have committed the unpardonable sin. No, I don't believe that. Uh, I say no, I don't believe that. A few of them probably have. Others are probably on the road that way. And all of them, if they're consistent Muslims, consistent Jehovah's Witnesses, consistent atheists, are on a uh, glide path to a Christless eternity. And they're, they're in trouble, but they're not necessarily all so hardened it's too late. And you can you say that because atheists, J. Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, after, as an adult for decades, became a believer in Jesus Christ, okay? Had he passed the point of spiritual no return? Let me give you some help. Had J. Warner Wallace, as a confirmed, happy, angry atheist, passed the point of spiritual no return? How do I know that? <laughs> he accepted Christ, right? So he, hadn't, he, he may have been close, but he wasn't quite there. Okay, there's a name you need to know. Nabil Qureshi. Who's Nabil Qureshi? He's the guy that did the DVD series, Seeking Allah, Finding... He's the guy who really wanted to know God. If you really want to know God, he'll give you more than sufficient information to find him, right? And he was, and you know, much, he didn't go into his personal testimony as, in the DVD as, as much as he does in his book, but he was a happy, convinced Muslim, which means that he thought Jesus was a satanically possessed false prophet. Isn't that what Muslims teach? No. They teach Jesus, Isa, this is his name in Arabic, is the greatest of all prophets except for one, Muhammad, and that Jesus predicted Muhammad, but those dirty Christians took that out of the New Testament. They didn't want you to know what he really was teaching, you know? So it's all a collusion and conspiracy theory. But how do I know that Nabil Qureshi had not committed the unpardonable sin? He came to faith, didn't he? People who committed unpardonable sin are so far gone, they're never coming back. They've jumped off the uh, theological Empire State Building. I, I, I mean... I'm, I'm terrified of heights. I do not like heights. I never have liked heights. I mean, anything much higher than this is a problem, okay? They were going to build a, a tall thing for me and James to climb up. We said, no, I can't handle it. But I mean, and the older I get, I don't trust railings. 
You know, these people who are doing safety, you know, selfies over the Empire State Building or whatever, I mean, or the Grand Canyon, uh, I don't get that, man. I'm not going to do that. I, I've got enough troubles as it is, you know. Um, yeah. Now, so I picked Jay Warner Wallace because I just was listening to a YouTube video of him this week, and he talked about his testimony. He, became, he was 35 years old before he came to faith. He was a hardened police vet raised by an atheist father uh, who's still an atheist, and, and yet this guy has written some great stuff. I'm so glad he's on our side. Cold case Christianity. You got folks that are going to be that are honestly trying to make sense of the gospels, and they can't give them cold case Christianity. Jay Warner Wallace, his friends call him Jim, but his books say Jay Warner Wallace. Um, uh, yeah, it's great stuff, man. I, I love that book. And he's got one called God's Crime Scene, talking about intelligent design. That's a good one too. But I'm so glad he's on our side. But notice. Uh, Danny, I said, uh, have all atheists committed unpardonable sin? I didn't say that. I don't believe that. J. Warner Wallace for decades was an atheist, but he'd not committed unpardonable sin. Now, if he died apart from Christ, you know, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides, right? So that's in, always in play. But uh, I mentioned him by name. I mentioned Nabil Qureshi as a Muslim. Uh there was a famous couple that were pretty high in the uh, hierarchy of Jehovah's Witnessism about 30 years ago. That's when my research of these people stopped, <laughs> uh, right before the Internet was invented by Al Gore. But uh, that's what he said. Uh, yeah, and um, I was trying to find them all week, and I couldn't find them. So uh, I don't have a specific example. So Jehovah's Witnesses, they say Jesus is a created being that... He didn't die on a cross. That what he did allows us to save ourselves by becoming really good Jehovah's Witnesses. That only the 144,000 greatest Jehovah's Witnesses of all time actually go to heaven. Other worthy Jehovah's Witnesses will stay on a restored earth. Everybody else is going to be snuffed out. That's what they believe. They have a false Jesus, false salvation, false conception of sin, false conception of God. Um, but some of them come to faith like Mr. and Mrs. ex-Jehovah's Witness. I don't have a specific there for you. But there are a plethora of examples on YouTube. Just put X Jehovah's Witness comes to faith in Christ on YouTube and you get like a hundred such uh, videos like that. So, if Jesus isn't a satanically possessed false prophet, who is he? Hey, let's battle negative with positive, okay? If you believe that and understand that, you're not going to commit the unpardonable sin, right? His name is Jesus, Yeshua, which means God's Savior. So if you just know the name, you can kind of know what he is. Lord is a title that means God. It goes back to what we saw Wednesday nights recently, all caps, L-O-R-D. It's the covenant personal name for God from the Old Testament. And then Christ is a title that means Savior, the anointed one to be uh, the Lamb of God and ultimately the, the Lion of God. So again, we're looking at, oh, we're looking at the uh, offensive opposition. They're saying he's satanically possessed. That's an expression of the fact they've passed the point of spiritual no return. And that's the hinge, that's the pike's peak of the ministry. Immediately, as we'll see next week, Jesus teaches the parables about what it's going to be like spiritually in the aftermath of all that, with the cross, humanly speaking, now a certainty. And so that is very much a a climactic, critical point in the life of Christ. And if you're just learning snapshots in the life of Christ, and you read this as your 13th snapshot, you're not going to realize this is the turning point, humanly speaking, for the whole ministry and we're going to see the crowd scattered. John 6 is a really good example of that. Jesus graphically says, unless you believe in me, you're not going to heaven. You've got to uh, appropriate me, and I'm it. 
and says, they're all, and, and, and the crowd just is leaving. It says all his disciples, lowercase, people who are students thinking about him, they all start to leave. And the disciples look at Jesus, the 12, like they, like he just shot their dog, you know. We wanted crowds. They're all leaving because you're making a big deal about who you are. And what does Jesus say to them? Do you want to leave too? That's not negotiable, man. And what does Peter say at that one? We're not leaving. You've got the words of eternal life. I mean, people, preachers, you know, bang on Peter because he says some stupid things. But don't we all? Not me. But yeah, I've just said some stupid things. But he hits a home run in that passage Scott read. You're the Christ. I don't care what the Gallup poll says. I know who you are. And then when the crowds start leaving and the bullets start flying, Peter says, you're it, man. We're totally, we're all in. There's one exception, of course. Okay, what did we do this morning? Well, we reviewed A through Z. We reviewed O, talked about the unpardonable sin. Now let's just whet your appetite for next Sunday. Lord willing, weather permitting, um, this is welcome to your world. This is the way spiritual dynamics are since O and P in the life of Christ. And what we're going to see, and this is such an important passage. You need to know where this is. You've got these eight parables. I know it's 52 verses. That's a lot. But... We're going to survey those next week according to verses 10 through 17. And that, and, and by that, that's just a simple list, Dustin. You start with the parable of the sower or the soils. You end with the parable of the house owner. You've got eight total parables. But when you look at it a little bit more closely, you'll see that it's organized so that the first two are twins, fraternal twins. Second two, third two, and then seven and eight very much go together. And Lundell and I were talking about, sure, you can do an eight sermon series on each one of those parables, but I think at some point you've got to see how they all connect and relate to one another. You're not going to understand them fully. So we're going to do a survey of that next week. But according to his explanation of what he's doing because of the aftermath of O in Matthew 13, 10 through 17, right after the unpardonable sin incident, Jesus drastically changes the character of his ministry, like we said. He's now not trying to get the word out as widely as possible because it's been distorted, it's going to be used against him. He's preparing the disciples to carry on the work, right? And he says, now from now on, I'm going to basically teach in parables because it will reveal truth to you if you really want to know it, but it will conceal truth. Why would he want to conceal truth from most people who don't want to know it? Because what are they going to use it for? What, what, what the, this, what's the Sanhedrin going to use anything Jesus does? You know, today we, when you arrest people, the Miranda rights, You've got the right to an attorney, uh, 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 and you need to realize that anything you say can and will be used against you, okay? You've got to lawyer, lawyer yourself up before you talk to the police. Jesus realizes anything I do or say, miracles or truth claims, will be used against me, right? So he, he's, he doesn't have to fuel that fire. You don't have to make it worse than it really is. So he's intentionally using parables so that if you really want it, you can get it from a believing heart, and that's the first parable. What's the condition of your heart soil, right? But if you don't, you're going to use it for uh, nefarious purposes. I'm not going to give you more. I'm not going to pour gasoline on the fire. That's not going to do that. And I think we should be smarter than that. Now, by the way, no extra charge for this. I wasn't looking for this this week, but when I found it, I sent an email to the elders and deacons and said, you're not going to believe this. You can't make this up. Right, Debbie? Debbie Corbin watched the whole video on this email. If you want me, I'll send you the email if you want it. Just let me know. But um, I don't know 
I can't tell you if, if X committed the unpardonable sin. I don't know. God Only God knows. But I do believe that people do commit that. They get so hardened they're beyond the point of uh, possible return. But let me just read you a, a short ac- uh, clip from the Christian Post, which is an online Christian newspaper. I don't like their all their editorial policies and stuff, but it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff on current events. The Christian Post, October 19th, which was Friday. Here's the article. If you don't know about Texas prophet Joshua Holmes, the leader of Joshua Holmes Ministries, here's my promise to you. You know, if when I'm old and gray I start a parachurch ministry, it will not be called Brad McCoy Ministry. Who's going to name their ministry after themselves? I mean, just come up with something, you know. Uh, Straight ahead ministries, you know. I mean, it's for the money ministry. I mean, just be honest about it, you know. But I mean, the Brad McCoy Ministry, I mean, anyway. Self-style Texas prophet Joshua Holmes of Joshua Holmes Ministries. I mean, it connects, you know. If you don't know him, you don't know Jesus. Because, quote, he is Jesus in the flesh, end quote. He's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That sounds really, to, to claim that, sounds really close like you've passed the point of spirit in our return. It's one thing to name ministry after yourself. I'll give you that, okay? okay I mean, Billy Graham Ministries, I know he, and that makes sense. Everybody knew who he was, you know? But, uh, anyway, let me go back. <laughs> the things I do, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like having to read this stuff. It just hurts me. This is a quote. For all you haters, if you don't know Prophet, jo- Prophet Joshua Holmes, you ain't got the Holy Spirit. That's all I got to say. A young woman says in a viral video posted on Facebook, dismissing critics of Holmes. He is changing lives every day. He is Jesus in the flesh. He got the power of God on him. I mean, that comes from Facebook, so it can't be wrong. The flamboyant young minister, whom many critics dismiss as a dangerous departure from Orthodox Christianity, because he is, has emerged in recent months as an online sensation, professing healings and, most importantly, money miracles. Okay? In a one minute, long, long sermons are biblical. Paul preached till midnight. And one of these days, I'm going to do that to you. Uh, just say, so you know, bring your lunch. No, I won't do that to you. In a one, Pastor Appreciation Day is just a couple weeks away. I, I've got a lot more, uh, tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. Yeah. I've got some flexibility in the next couple of weeks. And after that, I've got to go back to being my regular self. In a one minute, in-depth video promotion for his ministry that has been viewed more than three million times. Holmes is recorded making women and men swoon with a wave of his white jacket or the mere breath from his mouth. Information on who this prophet is or where he came from, however, remains vague and limited. Even on his ministry's website, you know, at the Joshua Holmes Ministry website, where he sells a book about prophetic mysteries for $100 a copy. Now you might say, why do you charge so much? I only have to sell like a thousand and I'll be rich, you know? That's the way you think, you know? You gotta bring a business approach to Christianity because otherwise nobody's gonna like it in America today, you know? Um, yeah, I know. Uh, he shares a tale about how he moved into a mansion 48 hours after sowing thousands of dollars into the ministry of another heretic, Mike Murdoch. Uh, if you don't know him, watch out. 
this is Joshua. I have a miracle ministry, and a lot of people have been getting healed. But I've been seeing that a lot of women and men are ignorant of the wealth anointing taught in the Bible. Earlier this year, I was challenged by God to sow a major financial seed. I had a place where I was living inside of. Now, you're not supposed to end sentences with prepositions. But anyway, if you're a prophet, I guess you can do that. I had a place where I was living inside of, period. I now live in a mansion because of this major seed I sowed in Mike Murdoch's ministry. Uh, in 48 hours, I moved into the mansion, just like that. You know, and it gets better. He said he had, quote, a whole lot of thousands, quote, close quote, of dollars in a bag at a service being hosted by Murdoch. I guess he just walked into this Christian service with like thousands of dollars in a bag. Uh, you know, if any of you have done that today, I, I want to do some counseling with you before you leave. Okay? Because I could use those thousands of dollars. No. I'd use them better than he's using them. Uh, he go to this, he's got a whole lot of thousands of dollars in a bag at a service being hosted by Mike Murdoch when he decided to give it all to the televangelists. Okay? Giving to get isn't giving. It's at best investment. It's at worst trying to bribe God. And he doesn't bribe. You can't do it. Um, yeah. Uh, so he decided to give all that thousands of dollars in that bag to Mike Murdoch. I guess he personally handed it to him. Uh, the floodgates of heaven opened over my life financially. I think a lot of people in the body of Christ, they get money miracles and they don't be faithful with it. So then they lose the anointing even for their wealth. So if you're not wealthy and healthy, you obviously need more of this guy's pablum, which is, you know, it's just, it's, it's just so wrong, it's blasphemous. And if he really believes this stuff and he's not a complete charlatan, which many of them are, uh, I, I, I don't pronounce unpardonable sin, but he's, he's pretty close, okay? Take this to heart. Realize from letter O, not all unbelievers have committed the unpardonable sin, but some do. And ultimately, apart from Christ, you are going to be eternally separated from God, okay? Um, but unpardonable sin is a specific, especially virulent, hardened state that not all unbelievers ever come to, but same thing um, if you die without Christ. And then from P, not all believers have ideal spiritual soil in their hearts, but all of us can, right? It's not about our uh, personal abilities, about our teachability, okay? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, please give us uh, wisdom from your word today that we might think about and um, prioritize what's real and true and good about the person of Christ and about your goodness and your grace. Uh, help us to have a divine viewpoint so that we look at our lives and our world and our priorities and make our choices based on your wisdom and your word. And I pray you'd empower us to do that, and you'd be glorified to that process and that product. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.